The reading this morning is from John 20, verse 19 to 31, and John 16, verse 33. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for the fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God, Then Jesus told them, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I have told you these things so that in in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is the word of the Lord. How many of you guys went to a church that had a directory (laughs) with old pictures? I have to say all this again so it gets on the tape. Um, We're still using tapes. Um, Wow. All right. Smooth transitions are the name of the game. Happy Mother's Day to all of you guys that are mothers and not mothers. My family's all out of town at a baseball tournament in New Jersey, so I'm going to Yankee Stadium to see Jeter's number retired today. Um, So, yeah. What? Sorry, I should have invited you. I was invited, so I'm someone else's plus one. Um, So, a moment of silence for the captain, please. No, if you're a Mets fan, you're welcome here. Actually, any manner of brokenness... We receive here at Trinity Grace as you're, you're welcome, um, but the captain's number is being retired, retired today. Maybe I'll, I'll pray. What about that? All right. Heavenly Father, I really sense this morning that 
that more than information about you, we just, um, we need to have you confront our places of fear, our real places of doubt, and the troubles that we're facing in our lives. And I pray in Jesus' name that you would, you would do that beyond uh, the little bit that's prepared on these pages of the sermon. I pray that your speaking voice, that your loving presence would break through and confront us in our places of fear and doubt and trouble. Give us ears to hear from your Holy Spirit and just lead us forward in grace. God, take, take these humble offerings that we have here and just cover them with your mercy like a river of life. In Christ's name, amen. So for years I've been struck, uh, and since if you've been here for years, you've heard me mention this before, but it strikes me um, exactly how Jesus uses his time between the resurrection and the ascension. I think it's uh, an interesting thing to consider if you haven't, if you haven't before, if you've been with us for a while, we, we've talked about this a little bit, but there's 40 days basically from when Jesus, from Easter until we celebrate when Jesus ascended and this mysterious thing where he's been walking with these disciples for three years and he tells them qu- quite shockingly that it's good for me to leave you now. And I'm going to send a comforter, a guide, a, a counselor. And they, I think, I wonder how much sort of shape and, and, and reality they had to that promise until Pentecost, which we're going, to, uh, we're going to celebrate in just a few weeks. But until Pentecost, like how troubling would it have been for Jesus to rise from the dead? All right, finally, the victory is here. And then 40 days later, he's gone. And so this 40 days which is what Easter tide sort of represents and, and the, the meditation that we're in right now in our church and across the, across the ages and across the world. We're in this Easter tide season of considering those 40 days. He's going to leave and, and, and ascend. We know that he's going to give them these famous words of commissioning, say, say to them basically like, now, <laughs> I want you to see the full picture. All authority in heaven, in heaven and on earth is given to me. Go into all the world. And as you're going, make disciples. Do for other people what I've done for you. Make disciples by baptizing them into the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Let them be immersed into the relationship of the Trinity. Jesus' prayer in John 17. God, share with them. Father, share with them what we've had before the foundations of the world. And Jesus commissioning his disciples to carry the movement forward in that exact way. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Let them be immersed fully into the life of God. And then, what? Teach them all the things that I've commanded you. Teach them the way of Jesus. You've been walking in the dust of the rabbi now for three years. Go out into the world and teach them the way of Jesus. And and lo, I am with you to the end of the age. I was just in a membership class this morning and I, I just felt, I want to reassert to you, Jesus promises that his authority and his presence accompany the, uh, the completion of this commissioning. So we're going to be about that commission, about seeing people baptized in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and learning and teaching others to walk in the way of Jesus because we want Jesus' authority, we want Jesus' power and presence, we want the fullness of God in our lives and in our church. And he promised that it's accompanying that reality. So we know he's going to give this commission, and then we know the disciples are going to go and pray and wait on the, on the Holy Spirit, but then we still have this 40 days where, I don't know about you, but I, I sometimes question... <laughs> Jesus' plan a, a, a little bit. In the 40 days after Jesus' death and, and resurrection, he spends almost all the time that we have recorded in the Gospels going to people who already follow him. 
And it seems a little bit like this is the prime moment to go to everybody who doubted you and wanted you dead. I, just, I mean, can you just, I, I've pictured the scenes in my mind, just like he shows up in the palace and Pilate's there and he doesn't see him yet. He just like taps him on the shoulder and then he moves over and he's like, boom, what's truth now? So, shows up at Herod's house and he's like, here's your purple robe back. Guess who's back from the dead? These are things that I imagine would have been cool for Jesus to do. He doesn't do them. So he, he may have an, another plan, but instead of like going to all these people who didn't yet believe, he, he, he makes a point. He's in, he seems intent and completely comfortable with, with going to those people who had already been following him and doing something for them. Restoring them. They've been scattered. He gathers them. They've been discouraged and fearful. He encourages them. Literally, the word means to put courage in someone. He, he helps them remember and know that they are forgiven, particularly for someone like Peter who had so clearly after, you know, all these bold claims of faith and courage had so clearly denied Jesus. And he lets them know that they are going to carry the movement forward. So he's just invested for three years in these people. And when he resurrects, he doesn't just go around appearing to people who hadn't believed, trying to move the, move the movement forward by phenomenal expression of dramatic action. Instead, he goes and he restores quietly, even restores the hearts of those who had already been with him. And I think that should communicate something to us. One of the things, at least I think it communicates, is that Jesus knows full well that phenomenon alone is not enough to sustain a life of faith and love. I'll say that again because many of us long for this. It's like you kind of have that sense, if I could just... If, you know, maybe you're skeptical in your heart, so you want a deeper encounter with God, and you think, if I could just see one time or a, a few times, like, real, actual, miraculous power, that would be it for me. But the history of Israel seems to tell a different story. Jesus was so familiar with it that people had seen the sea parted, and just a few days or weeks later were complaining that God wasn't going to provide, and they were hungry, and they wanted the soup of Egypt again. Phenomenon alone is not enough to sustain a life of faith and love. Now, when God dramatically shows up and, and does a healing on sight or, or, or restores a life or breaks someone free from addiction, those are the things we love. We long, I long for that. I wanna, I, in no way am I saying we, we don't want the phenomenon. We want God to break in a miraculous power. But the Christian life is one of breakthrough and process. It's one of, we need the dramatic encounter with God, but then as human beings, you know that you default back to your habits. The actual daily choices that are ingrained in your being, in your thought processes, that are actually in your, your gut, your longings. We are people driven by our appetites, by our regular ordinary fears, by our regular ordinary doubts, by the trouble of the world. And those are the things Jesus specifically goes and confronts. So instead of making a big show all over first century Israel, Jesus goes and he restores his friends. He helps them reconnect with the way that they've been having described and modeled for them in, in the previous years, that they are going to carry the mission forward. And, and the realities that he confronts in them are, are the most, if we're honest, they're familiar realities for us. And as I was praying even earlier in the, in the sermon and this morning with our, our prayer team, this morning I, I really hope that 
beyond just getting a little bit of information about this story that we're looking at, that you would be really honest in the catalog of your heart and mind. What are you afraid of? What are your real fears? In the catalog of your heart and mind, where are you doubting? Like we, we put on a smile for one another at church, but the best times are right when we drop the mask and we're really honest with the places of our doubt. Where, where are the places that the trouble of the world is seeming just overwhelming to you right now? And honestly, like learning a little bit more from this sermon is not going to help your fear or your doubt or your trouble really. What you need, what I need is an encounter with Jesus in the way these, these disciples have where he just, he makes his presence known and he says to you, shalom. Peace be with you. So even if, you, if you're looking for places to tune out as I'm talking, that's fine. What I hope that you'll do is begin to really be honest with the places in your life that you're afraid. We have this uh, marriage exercise that my wife and I do um, that we learned from a counselor, actually secondhand from a couple that told us about it, but it's called the emotions jug. Anybody familiar with the emotions jug? I may have mentioned it before, but basically you just ask four qu- questions. What are you mad about? What are you glad about? What are you sad about? And what are you scared of? And we'll take a, a date night. And usually we don't get through four of them because like you're, you're intentionally supposed to get into the layers. And so you say, what are you mad about? Or what are you scared of? And, and the first few things are like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm scared that we're not going to, you know, find a, a place to live in the next two years that, that's enough, you know, room for the people that are in our family. We have a thousand children now in a two bedroom and it's concerning. I'm afraid of real estate. And then, right. And then you like, and, and the person who's listening is doing active listening and their job is they're not allowed to fix anything or respond to anything or say anything except what else. So the person keeps saying what they're afraid of and you keep saying what else. And then eventually we found like, even if it takes a few moments of awkward silence, you start to get to a place where you're talking about what your deep gut level fears are and, and stuff that's, that goes back a long way and, and wondering if this pattern of thought and behavior is ever going to really be, be gone and start to get into our real anxiety. So one, just takeaway, I commissioned the emotions jug to you for friends and family, um, a great game. Um, also just a conversation starter for someone that you love. What are you mad about, glad about, sad about, and scared of? And so my, my hope is that those familiar realities, that, that we, would, we would know how much God cares about them. Sometimes it's so easy to for, just forget that reality, that God is in, intimately, intricately interested. Wow. Alliteration. In... How long can this go on? <laughs> in what's under the hood of your life, the familiar realities of our fears, our doubts, and our trouble. In fact, if you've been tracking with Jesus' last weeks leading up to the cross, he's been really trying to prepare the disciples for this moment where they're going to be scattered and dismayed and overcome with, with fear and doubt. The, the, uh, the last verse that we ended our teaching text with was a summary of a conversation that Jesus had with his disciples before everything went down in Jerusalem. He was arrested, went through the trial, and went to the cross. And this is like when you're a pastor, you have to have a verse that you sign your emails with. 
that's one of the things that you have to come up with. So I came up with my life verse that I sign emails with is John 16.33. Let's put it on the screen. Oh yeah, there it is. Here it is. This is my, this is my email signal. And I just, anyway. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. I bet I don't have to convince you of that. But take heart. I love the old translation. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. In this world, you will have trouble. And he's just spent the last few paragraphs of, that, of John 16 explaining to the disciples that he's going to go to the cross. And they just like won't get it. They refuse to admit that, that, that they're going to lose him in, in, in a real way. And he's saying, I'm saying these things because a time's going to come. You're going to be overwhelmed with trouble. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So when Jesus shows up, he's promised that he's going to give them his peace. And then when he shows up in the room in John 19, after their doors are locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, after Thomas is doubting, what does he keep insisting on? Shalom. He keeps speaking peace to them. So I just very simply want us to put these encounters on the screen and just look over them as we are also taking an inventory of our lives in a real way. And then where we're headed is we're just gonna have an extended time of worship and prayer where I want you to bring your real fears, your real doubts, and your real sense of being overwhelmed with trouble in the world before God. And we're gonna minister to one another, pray for one another, even lay hands on one another. If you're brand new, don't be weirded out by that. It's like on the shoulder. Fear, doubt, and trouble. In the midst of real life, God is coming in and speaking peace. So let's, let's just read this first uh, scene one more time. On that evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you, if, you, if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So, the first detail of the story. The doors were locked for fear. For really good reasons. The doors were locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. For fear of the fact that it is no small thing that what the... Jewish leaders stirred up about Jesus was that he was trying to lead an insurrectionist movement against Rome. And Pilate, who's charged with keeping the peace of the occupying force, establishing the Pax Romana, that's the thing that got him. He was so ready to release Jesus and they're like, no, no, we're going to tell Caesar that you let there be a rival king. And so the doors were locked because now their leader has been taken and the last steps is to sweep up the rest of the movement. And to make sure that it's eradicated entirely. There were real things to be afraid of. They, were, they really should have been hiding. So, I put the question to you again. What are, what are you afraid of? I've had the opportunity now with four to go through this. I'm entering it with the last, but through the toddler stage with, with four, four kids. And right now, my youngest champ, who's just like starting to string sentences together uh, in a... In a, in a, in a really amusing way, um, has, like, every time I'm changing his diaper, his eyes will get really big, and he'll go, a monster coming. I'm like, what? A monster coming. You guys hear what I'm saying? A monster's coming. 
And so he's like, and like, what are you talking about? And there's this character from the movie Trolls, the Bergens. And they say, monster coming, a Bergen coming. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so intense. You're really scared. I'm like, you don't have anything to worry about. Dad, Dad's here. And every one of our kids, right, have had that, that sense of imagination, right? You turn off the lights, you leave, and you're halfway down the hallway, and then you hear the pitter-patter of feet, and they're behind you. And they come back, and all these things, once the lights go out, once you can't really see what's there, they have all these fears that begin to grow in their imagination. And it's not unlike us at all, right? We have fears running on a ticker tape in our mind. You know, this is... <laughs> You're never going to be this. You're always going to be stuck in this way. You're, you have to prove yourself in this way, right? But kids' fears are, are funny. They're like, a monster's coming, a Bergen's coming. But then they'll come and ask you to lay with them. They'll ask one of their parents. Scout will do this all the time. She'll just ask me to lay with her while she's going to sleep. So I'll lay down uncomfortably on the bottom, on the bottom bunk. And almost like moments later, she'll, her breathing will change and she'll be asleep. Now what happens? Her, it's not like her imagination became less active, do you remember that phenomenon? It's like when your mom or dad is there, all that stuff just evaporates. It just goes away. All of a sudden, that, that thing that you were afraid of is gone. This is exactly what happens when Jesus shows up in, in this scene. The fears that, that had been real, had been clouding them, had been pressing on, on them, had been defining their identity, had been defining their reality, they evaporate when Jesus comes through the door. The presence of God is the defining reality here. So what are you afraid of? The state of the world right now. That's a bizarre time to be alive. So people keep recommending me these like post-apocalyptic TV shows. Like, no, this seems like not like we're three steps away. <laughs> we're probably not. Everyone chill. Peace be with you. Um, <laughs> but your your job, right? What's my, what's my vocation? What, what type of meaning? Maybe, maybe it's connected to that. Maybe there's fear connected to your relationships. You have a, you know, a fear of being alone, a fear of being stuck in the same pattern of relationships that you've been in. Maybe it's right, an astounding number of people in our church and in our city wrestle with anxiety and depression. How many of you know the sort of the haunting, you know, waking up in the morning and feeling that sinking feeling that another day is beginning with these thoughts racing in your mind and maybe they're dragging you down into this sort of like inky feeling of blackness or maybe they're ramping you up into all these worries and, and, and you know it's not necessarily rational but they're just running beyond your ability to stop them. What are you afraid of? What, what, in what ways are the doors of your life locked for fear? When Jesus comes in the room, he says, peace be with you, shalom. He promised them in John, 16, in John 16, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And when he comes into the room, it's a demonstration of that overcoming love. Peace be with you. And then, this is the thing that struck me reading this this time. That would be enough, right? Jesus is here, fantastic. But he doesn't stop there. Again, he says to them, peace be with you. And then he says, as the Father sent me, I am sending you. He wasn't just trying to get them to a place of stasis, a place of peace, a place where their fears began to evaporate. He was trying to get them to a place where they were gonna become agents of shalom. That you're going to be people who walk into other rooms and say, Jesus has something to say about what your real fears are saying to you. And it's peace be with you. 
that he wants you and I to be those who from shalom are sent to be agents of peace in the world. So why do we need to get our fears dealt with before God? One, because they're plaguing us and because they're, they're stripping us of the abundant life that God has invited us into, but also because we're meant to be agents of peace. We're meant to walk into rooms and say to people, shalom. It's so easy to turn the volume down on that phrase that Jesus says, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. As the Father sent me. Now think about Christmas and think about the life of Jesus and think about what, what he does. He's sending you as a representative of, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you into the world. And, and then what? Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. How do you get rid of fear? Like seriously, someone give me an answer. Okay, love. Yeah, that's, there's a summary later in the New Testament that per, like perfect love casts out fear. That's what, like, that's what Scout, my daughter, is experiencing. Is she's experiencing being like close to love and knowing that like there are resources available in this love for my protection. And that's what we need to experience in our unity with Jesus is that the, the, when we receive the Holy Spirit, his perfect love casts out fear. And then become an agent of grace. You, you give the grace that you've received. Become a representation of forgiveness. All right, that's the first scene, right? You could have gotten that on your own. This is fine. Verse 24, next scene. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus. I would have gone with Thomas too in that case. (laughs) One of the 12 was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Some of the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Simple scene. My, my wife and I watch a uh, show on AMC, Better Call Saul. Any fans? Okay, thank you. Um, there's, there's a scene in, in the movie where Saul and his brother Chuck are sitting by their mother's bed as she is passing away. And uh, they've been sitting there. Pardon? This is not really a spoiler. It feels like a spoiler, but it's not. I mean, it's like a small detail. You would have got this maybe in a commercial. Can I go on? Okay. Um, <laughs> I seriously will stop. This isn't like so important for the sermon, but. (laughs) All right. This is a divided house right now and peace be with you. Um, So they're sitting there, the two brothers, and they're, they're, they're basically waiting on their mom to pass. And Chuck is the older responsible brother and Jimmy is the one who's like, you know, kind of like a loose cannon. And so Jimmy's like so hungry. He's like, I gotta get a sandwich. And Chuck's like, you can't leave now. This is like the time that we're supposed to be here. And he's like, I gotta get a sandwich. I'll get you a sandwich. He leaves. While he's gone, she wakes up. She says, Jimmy, Jimmy. And then she dies. She does die. That was a bit of a spoiler, but she was on her deathbed. So Chuck is so devastated 
because one, he's the one who responsibly stayed. And then his mom wakes up and in her semi-consciousness, she cries out for the other brother. And so this is like part of the tension between them. If you watch the show, this is why they're part of, spoiler for why they're in tension. Basically, wrong time to be out of the room. And that's what happens with Thomas. You see how not important that story was to the sermon? (laughs) I basically just wanted to say, bad time to be out of the room for Thomas. And I told that whole story in order to get there. You live and you learn. You get better at it as you do it, folks. We have acronyms for this now, right? FOMO. Hit me with it. Fear of missing out, right? Wrong time to be out of the room. Like all the disciples are there and Jesus shows up and then Thomas isn't there. Imagine the discussions. You're not going to believe it, Thomas. You're right I'm not going to believe it. FOMO, I can't believe I missed this. Are you serious? Maybe he intentionally didn't want me to be there when he showed up. Unbelievable. Jesus, always with you. I came across a fantastic new acronym on the internet this week, and I so meant to put it in the slides, but I'm just going to say it. Ostiaquistosipha. It's A-O-S-T-I-E-K-W-T-L-S-F-A. Anybody know what that stands for? Acronyms only save time if everyone knows what the letters stand for already. So Thomas had missed out. And because of it, he had doubt. But I want you to think about the nature of this doubt. Like what, what, what it's there for in Thomas's life. Because I want you all, also the whole time, right? Remember your assignment is to be comparing this to your real inner monologue about life. Your doubts. Why do you have doubts? And I bet there's some similar reasons to why Thomas has them. Fear of missing out is, 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 is part of it. But also... It's a way of protecting yourself. It's like there's a worldly wisdom to it. I'm not going to get myself, there's like, this is an undercurrent in our borough in particular. Like part of sophistication is being skeptical. Part of being educated is being doubtful. And I'm, I also want to say part of a life of faith is having doubt present as well. So if you wrestle with doubt, hey, you're, everyone in this room does if they're, if they're honest. But Thomas has doubt as a way of protecting himself. It's a reaction to real life, to the disappointments of the world. Imagine... Imagine how devastating it had been for Thomas to experience that last week, the arrest and the trial, basically like the deterioration of everything that he thought his life was crescendoing towards to literally fall apart and dissipate. And then when the moment comes where his friends get an experience that changes, changes everything, he's gone. Doubt is a way of protecting yourself. Doubt is a reaction to the real life disappointments of the world. And doubt is a way, it's a guide to help you make a life that's manageable without God. You can have a life riddled with doubt and still make a manageable life that's about your resources, your abilities, and your gifts. And honestly, it might feel like a pretty decent life at times, but it's not the abundant life that Christ is calling us to. An unmanageable, supernatural life where, where God is going to confront you and ask you to do things that sometimes don't seem to make sense and to take risks that are based on faith and that are calling you out into this wide space of, of a character that you haven't developed into yet that's actually beyond your resources. I want to say this, and we've said it before, you cannot do the Christian life on natural resources alone. It's a waste and it's miserable. 
We have to have the Holy Spirit. We have to have his power. But I've been reading this book, and thank you for the person in this room who gave it to me, um, right now by Frederick Buechner called Telling the Truth. And the subtitle of the book is The Gospel as Tragedy, Comedy, and Fairy Tale. And in church, especially with preachers, we're really quick to jump to the gospel as fairy tale. And to give you all of the like beautiful resurrection pictures of, of how God can come through for you and how, and how we, like the, the testimonies we get up there are the person who they prayed and they were healed that day or, or you know, their faith story was they were just completely addicted to everything and then one day they were just like a preacher. But Frederick Beekman talks in this book about if we don't sit for a while in the gospel as tragedy, then we do a great disservice to our integrity and to the telling of, of the message of the gospel. And inside of the real lives of these people who would carry the movement of Jesus forward was tragedy, was profound, real disappointment. You know, it's eight days that go by, seven or eight days that go by between when the, the first disciples see Jesus and Thomas does. That's a week of him writhing in the agony of this doubt wrestling with why am I on the outside? How come everyone else seems to be experiencing something different than what, why do they have their hands raised? I never cry at services. I never experienced that way. Are these people faking it or is it real at all? Like those types of questions. And God doesn't, he doesn't show up right in the first moment of your doubt. There are times where it lingers, right? Lazarus dies and Jesus is on the way and it seems like he's delayed on purpose. I wanna tell you this. Jesus is, is the one you need to bring your fear and doubt and trouble to. But there are times where he will not come on your schedule. And it's painful. And we need to be a community of people that can be honest about the tragedy of that. About the pain of, of, of asking for things in God not showing up in the way that we, would, that we would choose. You see, Thomas had left everything. The teachings of his childhood... His career, his vocation, he wasn't, doubting Thomas is not necessarily a fair name for someone who had given up everything to follow Jesus. He was prepared to die with Christ. He just wasn't prepared to live on without him. That's where his doubts came. He's like, if this, if this is real, it's got to come and show me. I think that's an okay prayer for you to pray. God, if you're real, would you show me? Would you show up? Would you break through? Would you come through the door? Would you say to me, shalom, because I'm dying here. In this world, you will have trouble. You will have fear. You will have doubt, but be of good cheer. Christ has been through it too. He has sweat drops of blood in Gethsemane on the way to the cross. Let this cup pass from me. The times where you're praying, honestly, let this cup pass from me, Jesus is right there with you. <laughs> So what does he do? He, lets, he addresses the exact places of Thomas's doubt. He comes in, he says, put your hands in my hands. Put your hands in my, in my side. He's like showing him, listen, I've taken the wounds of this world and, and the exact places that you feel like you've been left out, that you're missing, he addresses that. And then he commands him, stop doubting and believe. Again, stop doubting and believe. He doesn't just address the disciples' fear and then leave them in just a place of, of, of harmonious peace. He says, no, I fill you with shalom and I send you out. Don't just stop doubting. That's not enough. Now put your actual faith into action. Let it lead you out. Become someone who goes in the world helping to deal with real doubt. 
Be someone who carries the word of shalom on your lips. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Okay, that's enough. You've been, you've been hopefully considering where are your places of fear? Where are your places of doubt? And where are the places you feel overwhelmed by trouble? I want to ask Jesus to come in and confront you in those places and speak peace to you. But I want to ask you to not hide them. To not have a, 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 a shiny face room full of Christians who are just going to go to brunch later. I want us to be really honest with one another and with God for the next 10, 15 minutes. So I'm going to ask the people who play music to come forward to begin playing music. Because we need to do this with a little underscoring. But I basically want you just to go through the catalog in your mind. And I bet for many of you, you don't have to think very long before you can think about the things that have been troubling you. The fears that have been on your pillow when you woke up in the morning. The doubts that every time you hear a sermon, they come creeping back in. The trouble that seems to be defining your, your life right now. You don't need more information. You need to encounter Jesus this morning. You need to let him say to you, peace be with you. You need to let him remind you, as the Father sent me, that's how I'm sending you. Full of my shalom to be an agent of shalom. So here, here's what we're going to do. We've talked in the last three or four weeks about praising God and worshiping God. And, and basically, like, we're, we have this music as a space to really voice our prayers, to really be honest about the inner monologue of our hearts before God. So I want you to sing the songs that we're singing, or if you need to sit down and pray right where you are, or pray with the person that you came with, trade back and forth the honesty of your fears and doubts and trouble, pray for one another right where you are. We're also going to have people that are up here at the front and on the sides. Our prayer team, as soon as I say amen in just a minute, I want you all to, to come forward and be there. Now, like, if you're new to church, this is weird. Because why do you need to come down and talk to these people? They're not like particularly special people. All of, the, all of them are great. They're just a sign that we're not doing this alone. That there is something about taking a step and going to another person and being honest about your fear, honest about your doubt, honest about the trouble and say, I need someone else to speak the words of Jesus to me. We need something beyond just our own inner monologue. And so this is to say, hey, I choose community in this moment. I bring my questions to a particular place. I bring my, my pain to a place, another person, and they can help remind me of who Jesus really is. So your options are sit where you are and pray honestly, stand and sing and lift your hands and put these things in the hands of Jesus, or come forward or, and pray and, and be honest with people. But whatever you do, please don't just be in a place of, of mild contemplation. Be in a place of response and honesty. Let us vomit our hearts before God and put our, 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 our real thoughts in, 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 into, his, into his hands. My sense is that many of us need to hear peace be with you. Many of us need to be reminded that we've been sent as the Father has sent. That we have the opportunity to be agents of forgiveness and agents of shalom. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would do the work that your Holy Spirit can do alone, which is to, to crack the facade, to, to speak to that secret inner place in our hearts, to, 
to address the, the monologue in our minds right now. I pray for each person that you would draw them out by your Holy Spirit to a place of real honesty and then real surrender. And I pray in the name of Jesus that your shalom would fill this place, that your presence would fill this place. I pray for many. Some may just need to come and say, I want to receive the Holy Spirit. I'm already a believer, but I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit anew in my life. Whatever place you are, would you just honestly respond? Holy Spirit, be our guide and director, our counselor and comforter as you promised to be. In Christ's name, amen. We're just going to worship. We're going to pray. We're going to minister to one another. I'll invite us to the table in 10 or 15 minutes. But let's just take this, make this a sanctuary. Let's stand up and we'll, we'll worship God with all of our hearts.